1: Welcome and thanks for tuning into another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host Lolita, also joined by Kyle. On the show with us today, we have Ellis Hammond. Ellis, thanks so much for your time today. How are you?
2: I'm doing excellent out here in San Diego. It's hard to complain.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, before we get into the interview, here's a little bit about Ellis. Ellis is the founder of EllisHammond.com and an experienced real estate investor. Ellis began his career as a Christian missionary, but soon saw that the need to create wealth, building vehicles to support the causes he and his wife were passionate about serving. Ellis started investing passively in commercial real estate deals in 2018 and now manage, manages a private network of investors that focuses on acquiring tenant-occupied commercial real estate properties in California and Arizona. He has a growing vision to invite others to join him on his path of impact and wealth creation through real estate investing. So Sounds great, and I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear about your path to success. So, with that being said, Ellis, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do?
2: Yes, thanks for the introduction, and I'm so excited to be on the show, both of you. Uh, It's it's crazy what uh, what I've been able to accomplish. uh, You know, two in two years is really how long I've been investing in real estate. I remember uh, listening to Joe Fairless' show and then hearing y'all's podcast on there as well, and so kind of cool just to be on here. So really excited. Uh, And then I would also say, I mean, as you heard in my bio, yeah, I I was a started my career in my young twenties as a, as a missionary, Um, really as a missionary, uh, kind of working in the nonprofit world. And So I think I would just share with anyone who's listening. And the reason that's important, the reason I share that is because I had no idea how to build wealth. Like I kind of went away from um, making money or learning how to build wealth. Because of my religious experience, because of the way that I saw my parents treat money and even the, the kind of wedge that 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 created between my family and my parents got divorced when I was 10. And so I kind of went into ministry for those reasons. And so um, when I began to see a need arise in the nonprofit world to create vehicles for wealth and wealth building, I, I, I was really lost. Like, how the heck am I going to do this? And so um yeah, I just think for anyone who's listening, say that it's possible for you to really get started and to really create uh, generational wealth, to create impact, um, no matter where you're, no matter what your starting point is, would be, my, would be my takeaway.
3: Perfect. So today we're going to talk about multifamily from the eyes of a passive investor. So can you tell the listeners where you went out to seek out advice and education when you were first um, looking to be a passive investor in multifamilies?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first place I started was podcasts like this, and uh, I mean, I listened to tons of podcasts uh, everywhere I went. I was, you know, listening to podcasts, um, and then I probably the the two other really helpful places is I, I went to different conferences, and so um, Hunter Thompson, I think, is a mutual friend of ours, and he has a a great conference, the Intelligent Investors Conference, where I got to meet a lot of people, and then uh, he's really served as a mentor for me as well, and so. Uh, he has an education program that I was a part of early on. And so just really kind of surrounding myself uh, with other syndicators, with other passive investors, with people who have been doing this a long time and really just picking their brain. I would show up to conferences. I think I actually went to Hunter's conference uh, to try and meet Hunter because I was like, this is a guy I want to know what he's doing, how he looked at deals. And, uh, you know, I I hung out long enough after the conference to, to grab a beer with him and then ended up joining his mentorship program. So, that's where I got started.
3: Okay, very cool. And so uh, when you first got started, though, how did you pick multifamily as a platform or a vehicle? There's so many different asset classes out there. What drew you towards multifamily?
2: Yeah, I think I understood it. Um, There was a lot of material out there that that was around multifamily. Again, I I had my starting point was zero. And so uh, it was really what was accessible. And it was what made sense. It's what I had access to early on. I mean. Um, our first piece of property that we ever bought was a duplex. And that was because my wife and I could afford to, you know, what we call a house hack. We could afford to, you know, finance a place where we could live in one unit and and then rent out the other. And then we just grew from there, uh, started investing in in larger commercial projects. And so for me at that time, that was, that was really all I knew. And as I began, and, and it was something I could really understand. And I think that's important as a passive investor is that, uh, you should invest in what you know. Uh, you should invest in what you understand. That's so. Uh, I can't stress that principle enough. And so for me, um, I, I understood the fundamentals. The fundamentals of real estate was, you know, buying something that's undervalued and creating or, or developing a business plan to create more value. Uh, commercial real estate is much like a business, you know, and um, you you increase the value of the property by increasing the income. That was pretty simple. And how you go about that. Uh, might look different. But the fundamental, you know, ways of building wealth through real estate for me was, uh, was made sense.
3: Okay. So as a passive investor, what are the most important things you want to see from your sponsor when it comes to communication?
2: Yeah, this is really big. I, as a as an early investor, uh, it was, yeah, you know, this deal looks good. Um, I like you, you're a nice person. And then you know, as you get in, you, you don't know what you don't know until you get into deals. And so if you're listening to this, and you're just getting started, or you're not a passive investor, um, that's a question I would definitely ask is, hey, how often do you send reports? How often do you um, you update your, your investors? And so I think at the minimum, that you should be getting a quarterly report from your sponsor. Uh, and then I like to know, you know, what's going on in the project. And I, I, I think there's a question later, we're going to talk about how much details I want to know. I don't even know everything. I just want to be kept updated. And um, I think I've learned that along the way that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, quarterly, to answer your question, probably quarterly.
3: Okay. Are there certain things in those reports that you like to see versus, you know, one sponsor to another?
2: Uh, Update on the project. Photos are nice to kind of know like what's our progress. So if we said that we're going to be you know doing some type of specific value add project, I'd like to see um, I'd like to see pictures of our progress. uh, You know where we're spending the capital. If we had a plan for X amount of dollars to go to this, how's that going? Um, And so any any type of big transition stuff like that, uh, it's nice to know. But for the most part, I'm a passive investor, you know, and I just want to make sure that we're getting our returns and that we plan to hit our returns. Um, and that's why I'm in the deal, because as a passive investor, I don't want to be, you know, worrying about the landscape and what's going on. And so I think that's the advantage of being a passive investor.
3: So why did you choose the projects that you invested in when you were first getting into it? And maybe how do you vet the projects now versus when you were first getting started? Cause you mentioned a little bit there where it was like, Oh, you're a nice guy. I think I can invest with you. Well, yeah. What's the biggest difference <laughs>
2: now? Yeah. Yeah. <I've laughs> Uh, I I know what's out there. Um, I think before I didn't know what's out there. I, you know, and I haven't, there's not like I'm super experienced and I even have enough capital to be involved in a ton of deals, but, uh, now kind of being in the syndication world and and being, you know, more active. I mean, even now I have my own uh, network of investors that we go and invest in deals together. But, uh, before I just didn't know what was out there. So it was, yeah, this is, you seem like you, you know, the returns on this look good. They're better than what I'm seeing in the stock market. Um, I can, I know you, you're trustworthy. That was my initial criteria. You know, the, the returns, you know, they were outperforming what I was seeing in the stock market and I was beginning to build a relationship with this person that I trusted. Um, I think now uh, it, like the, the, the communication is a huge, is a huge part. Um, I've been a part of a syndication now and the, the communication is not very good. And you have to remember, like, this is a long-term relationship with this person. And you're going to be, you know, in a, you're going to be in a relationship with this person for for five, maybe 10 years. And so, um, uh, you know, I know y'all are a couple. I mean, imagine if you only spoke, you know, once every, you know, if you, if if you didn't, if you weren't speaking to each other, except every, you know, once or twice a year, that wouldn't go very well. And so I think that's really important communication. Um, Also, it's not hard. To do a background check on people, I, I've almost been part of deals where you know their track record wasn't very good, and you could Google them and find you know find court cases or whatever that was going on against them. And so, um, it it doesn't take much these days to do some research on the person you're investing. You know that you're you're investing with, and I would say there's just too many good deals out there to uh, to work with someone who may be shady. You know, that, that would be my, um, that would be my recommendation. And then what's the reputation around others, uh, check in with, um, actually my mentor Hunter taught me this, uh, the, not just the reputation, like in the real estate world and with other investors, but what's their reputation with the vendors that they are working with. And so, um, the type of vendors that are working on their, on their projects, I think those are great people to reach out to. And, uh, even as a passive investor, and that's the type of detail I want to go into because. Not just how does this person treat the investors, because they're going to treat us pretty good. I mean, we're we're giving them money, right? But how are they treating the people that they're working with on a day-to-day basis? Because I think that shows a lot about their character and how this deal is going to go.
3: Have you gone as far as doing a background check on a sponsor?
2: Yeah, I always do that. No.
3: Okay. Yeah, perfect. How close of a relationship do you typically like to have your sponsors? I mean, are you friends with them? Or is this more mainly a business relationship? How far do you kind of take it?
2: Yeah, I think it depends if I'm just a like, if I'm just going to be on the pat like the LP side, I'm just kind of putting in money, and I'm just expecting return, then um, I want to have a, a professional relationship. There's been some communication. Uh, but to be on a personal relationship with that person i don't think that's a good expectation they're busy you're busy if i'm going to be you know i manage this this network of investors and i'm going to be you know kind of making business decisions with these sponsors then we need to be best friends because <laughs> again like this is a five or 10 year relationship and i want to make sure we're on the same page and so i think it's very different if if there's a working component to our relationship then we're going to, we're going to be together for a long time. We need to be a, a lot closer, but as a passive, strictly passive investor, I think a professional relationship really just makes sense and, and you want to make sure that, you know, you'd be willing to do business with this person, but you know, you, you don't, ha- they don't have time and neither do you. That's why you're, that's why you're a, pa- again, passive investor. You mm-hmm. don't want to be involved in the details of things. You're, remember that as a passive investor, you give up a lot of your, you know, I don't call them rights, but I mean, it's the benefit of investing passively in real estate is that you don't worry about all the details. And so what's going on with this guy's family, you know, might be one of those details that you're not too worried about.
3: From your perspective, are you do you diversify between sponsors or do you mainly stick with one or two people that you've trusted and built that relationship with?
2: Yeah, I, I think you only, well, if the sponsor is diversified in the sense of kind of the markets that they're in, uh, and they're really thinking about diversification, uh, then I think you really only need one. I, it This is a level of trust when you're thinking about investing 100 a year or more into real estate deals. And so um, I, I really do think it only takes one, three technically, um, but I think it really does only take one. Um, and and that way you get comfortable. You kind of know what you like, and there's a working relationship. You know that we're we're going back and forth, and they're coming to you and asking questions, and so, um, and vice versa. So I I really think it only takes one. I'm, I've built relationships with a couple, um, who are doing different things in real estate, but I really think it only takes one.
3: Okay, have there been any challenges you faced with any of your um, passive investments that you can maybe share with us?
2: Yeah. Uh, so we did a deal back last year, and great deal. I was it's it's a great deal overall, but we had to do a, a, something a little bit different for the on the financing piece. And the financing piece was actually what made this deal really good. We assumed a, a HUD loan, uh, thirty plus years fixed interest. It was about three and a quarter interest. So pretty amazing for a commercial real estate project i mean you're not going to see that you know and it was almost like a 2014 2015 product as far as like the cap rate goes and so um, we're able to get in that deal because of the sponsor Um, but i didn't know much about hud and and so as a passive investor i kind of expected the sponsor to know a little bit more about hud than i did and i was like well we got this uh come to find out they didn't do all the due diligence they needed to do on HUD, and so um, what was supposed to be quarterly distributions is now turned into uh, biannual distributions, and so those are two less distributions we're getting per year. It doesn't necessarily change the numbers. You know, we're probably you know we're still going to get the same amount of cash flow each year, but if you were counting on that uh, that disbursement every quarter, you'd be in big trouble. Now, as a passive investor, you're probably not necessarily too worried about that. But I do think that's something um, that I'll probably make sure. I, I, I have a list of 111 questions, which I'll be happy to send
0: to your oh, audience. Wow. Uh,
2: we can talk about that at the end of the at the thing. I have like an investor starter pack. I, I'd be happy to send to them. But uh, that's, I <laughs> I actually went out of that. So now I have 112 questions that we can go back and uh, make sure we do due diligence on as we go through.
3: Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. If you don't mind, we can add them in the show notes or, or however you'd like. So um, yeah. you mentioned the HUD deal. So what was it about the HUD deal that, you know, pushed back the distributions to biannual versus quarterly?
2: It's the government, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it on the
0: government.
2: Yeah. You know, they just, uh, and it's, it's, they're trying, I mean, it's, it's HUD and they have, a little, more, a little more strict policy on the way that they do distributions and they have their own auditing company or own auditing kind of team that has to go through the deal. And so um, it's a little bit more hands on as far as their interaction with uh, with the syndication and with the distribution. And so they just want to make sure things are right and, you know, more hands in the pot slows things down. It's kind of the best way I can explain it.
3: Yeah. So, in those 112 questions that you have, are those all vetting the sponsor or is it also kind of vetting the deal as well?
2: Yeah, I know it's broken up. It's broken up first by the sponsor. I uh, think, as a passive investor, that's the first thing that you want to look at. The sponsor isn't legit or he's shady or she is shady or there's just questions about that person. You don't think, you know, it's out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good the deal is. It doesn't matter where the real estate is. If the sponsor, isn't someone you want to work with, and it doesn't matter, you know, it really doesn't. And then we get into um, you catching me off guard here, but we talk about the questions on the loans, like on the financing piece, questions about the finances, uh, and then there's one other. Uh, I can pull it up as we're talking, but essentially there's four categories. Main one is the sponsor, then the deal itself. Oh, location. Uh, and in the financing.
3: Okay. And do you go over all 112 questions for every investment that you go into?
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Nice. Okay. So when you first started out and you kind of told it, told us that your criteria at that point was more, okay, I, I like this person, you know, I trust this person. But when you got more experience, how did you end up developing your criteria?
2: Uh, R&D. Uh, my mentor taught me that rip off and duplicate. Oh, nice. okay. <laughs> uh, and so I, I just, I, again, like uh, there are people who have gone and done this before me and uh, I've found, I've just connected myself with the best mentors I, I feel like in, in the industry and uh, who have been really successful. And um, I've joined these mentorship programs for a reason. And, and so really I've just learned from them. And so I've kind of taken what different investors and different syndicators have done and the way they vet deals and essentially i've just taken what i think makes the most sense and i put it together
3: yeah no need to recreate the real right i mean that yeah. uh, tony robbins we're tony robbins guys and and um, he talks about modeling pe- modeling after people right you just take what other people have done learn from their mistakes and and hopefully you can avoid those mistakes yourself so
2: yeah because you know like i'm not actually um i i'm not someone who really likes to kind of get in the weeds of things and so uh ideally it would be nice to actually bring someone on who would go through those hundred and twelve questions <laughs> for me and then I could just, you know, because I can see a deal and I can I know the questions to be able to ask now and what we need to dive deeper into. But, you know, getting into the financing and it I, I don't actually love that part. But that's why the checklist for me is really helpful because, you know, if I was just kind of look at it, I'm just I'm gonna miss over a lot of things. So the checklist for me it actually forces me to kind of do the due diligence step-by-step step, um, as a passive investor that I probably wouldn't do just, you know, so it, it's it, it forces me to do what I naturally wouldn't,
3: wouldn't yeah. do. Well, if you ever want someone to, you can always hire a VA to do that for you for pretty cheap. But uh, I think it's probably yeah, a good process to go through then, it all. There are
2: things in there. Yeah. I mean, it's the process, right? That You're going yeah. through it. I, you know, the VA, yeah, they could... It's not that simple. I mean, and I could send you these questions as well, but uh, some of those is like, they're more kind of intuitive questions as well is, mm-hmm. Hey, what do you think about this sponsor? What about this location? Um, and so it's not always, yes, the answer is black and white. There's a little bit of gray in there that you have to say, you know, it's a real estate deal. I mean, it's, we invest in it because of the predictable income, you know, the business plan that we understand, but at the same time, we have to take into consideration. This is real estate, uh, you know, markets change most of the, you know, assets were, were tenant occupied assets. So there's people involved, there's a sponsor. And so, um, you know, we, I think we like the real estate world because maybe it's not as unpredictable as the stock market, but there still is a, a level of risk in every deal that you're a part of.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about your best passive investment to date and uh, why it's been the best.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, even though the, the HUD loan, uh, was kind of, uh, threw me off on that last one. It's still probably one of my favorites. I mean, you know, that was in 2000 in, uh, September of last year, we, we purchased this deal and to be able to get a a property that, you know, is cash flowing from day one. Uh, it's a, it's a lighter value add project. So what I mean by that is like most of our, um, capital improvements or most of our capital expenditure like the money being spent go towards things that impact like directly impact the rent and so uh, you know we're not doing things such as plumbing or electricity you know I mean those things are important to do on an asset that needs it but like as a tenant as someone who's going in there and paying rent you don't you don't necessarily you're not going to ask the question you know if the new, if there's new electricity in a building, that's not going to cause you to pay $50 more in rent, but maybe a new lobby or maybe new paint or a new playground for your kid that may cause you to pay $50, $100 more in rent. And so that's more of the value add project on this one. And then a loan. I mean, the the loan we have on this is 30 years. So we you know, the economy could, could just crumble for the next two decades and uh, we're not forced to sell. And so being able to, I think that's really important. You know, it's not just, Hey, what are the returns on this deal? But, you know, let's say you're looking at a shorter term deal and the returns look really good. We're working on a deal right now. That's about a two year hold. The returns are amazing looking. Um, but the thing, you know, the, my next question is, okay, well, what happens if in two years, the market in Arizona, the market in Phoenix, something happens and it takes a dip or, um, we're not able to sell and so we need to make sure we have an insurance plan on the back end to hold that deal so for example in this one we have a construction loan uh, but within the same lender there's an option to turn that into a permanent loan for the next i think six years so that gives us a, a, a window to hold onto the deal if necessary
3: yep absolutely that's one thing joe fairless and i you know yeah, I, I don't
2: know i hope this makes sense for your audience but you know i think uh, I, I like the detail we're getting into, and I hope that's helpful.
3: Yeah, no, of course. And like I was saying, that's one of the things that Joe Fairless talks about is just locking up long-term debt so you have enough yeah. runway, you know, to to make it through a downturn. So absolutely, that's good stuff. Yeah, I
2: mean, you know, and that's a great, you know, the three rules. And I, I I stole these from Joe, and I think they're right on. One is cash flow. You know, like cash flow is important to make sure that you can cover cover your expenses, cover your debt. Uh, Two is to try and get and lock up long-term debt. Um, is is Quick as possible. Now, on a few deals, you might not need long-term debt because it's more of a it's a quicker deal. But to my point that I made a minute ago, you need to make sure that in case you need to hold onto it longer, that there's that you have the opportunity to place long-term debt. And then thirdly is cash reserves, and I think that's the problem. I mean, maybe this goes to the sponsor: is you want to make sure you have a sponsor who um, who has done this before, who has a good track record it has a, a large network of investors because uh, a lot of young syndicators I know want to get into their deal, but they don't have enough capital. It, they don't reserve extra capital for what they don't know could happen. Um, and so the third rule just making sure there's reserves. So that'd be a great question. That's part of the 111. Hey, uh, do you have, did you raise extra cash? Like is is there an excess in case something we haven't planned for goes wrong?
3: All right. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Lalita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready?
2: Yeah, let's go for it. All right.
1: All right, Ellis, what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you cannot do without?
2: Yeah, this is probably not going to be um, something you've heard before, but LinkedIn is the one tool that I use. And for me, it's all about relationships. It's how um, that I connect with my network. It's how I build new relationships, It's how that I've continued to meet sponsors and interact with folks there. And so um, I, I use LinkedIn a ton. If, if you're on LinkedIn, or you're not on LinkedIn, uh, you should get one, we should connect. Uh, so LinkedIn has been, a, it's just been a huge tool for me to build relationships with other sponsors and other investors, uh, uh, post content almost daily on that. And so that's been a really unique tool for me um, as, you know, a, as I'm growing.
1: Perfect. Uh, you cannot talk about your head deal on this one, but could you tell us another oh. story about your uh, biggest mistake in real estate investing? Yet? Yeah. Yeah, this
2: actually this is easy yeah this is easy (laughs) uh this is why i got into passive investing it's not the hud loan deal this is actually my first uh the first deal we ever did was our duplex and i can remember um i was in the backyard and we were pulled like we were shoveling dirt in order to uh get ready to pour some concrete and uh, i just remember thinking like um Why the heck am I shoveling dirt right now? And this is like three hours into this project. You know, I don't like gardening, and I just remember thinking, like, I could, like, I should be able to pay someone ten or fifteen dollars for this work. But because there was not enough margin in this deal for that to make sense, here me and my wife were. You know, and that wasn't the only thing. I mean, there was painting the sidewalk, there was scraping the floors, there was, you know, gardening. I hate gardening, by the way, and um I just think that that was kind of the 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 light bulb went off of um this is I don't want to do like to to just continue to buy duplexes doesn't make sense for me I, I want to be more passive I want to be part of larger deals where I can focus on what I'm good at which for me is building relationships and pulling together investors um and then I'll let somebody else deal with the the stuff like scraping the floors and, and digging the dirt and pouring the concrete. That's not what I wanted to do. And so that was probably the biggest lesson I'm glad that I learned early on because um, it allows me to to still be a part of a great thing like real estate, continue to build wealth, um, but do what I love to do and be able to focus on what I'm good at. That's the key.
1: And the main takeaway for our listeners?
2: Yeah. You know, these go um, for the
1: listeners that enjoy gardening too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. I, I think my mind takeaway is you need to be focused on doing what what your strength is. You need to do what you like whatever your superpower is, that's what you need to be doing more of. And so um, I know a lot of people want to get into real estate investing, um, but there are a lot of ways to get into real estate investing than just buying a single family home and flipping it. Uh, You know, passive investing is is a great way to get into real estate. And so if your superpower, you know, is something that you do in your day to day W-2 job or it's being a mom or whatever, you need to be doing those things and doing something else is taking away from you using your superpower. Um, And so the reason I like passive investing, for example, is that you can still get into a great wealth building vehicle and still be able to focus on your on your unique superpower. And so and, and really, that's going to be the thing that's going to bring the most fulfillment, probably even create the most wealth for you is being able to focus on that. And so I just remember that that's that's been something my mentor, my coaches have um, have just continued to help me realize that let's do what only you can do, and then partner with other people who are really good at what they do. And together, you're going to create major impact.
1: Yep, nicely put. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level?
2: Uh, This is what I'm doing right now. And I'm I'm leveling up my network, taking my network to the next level. And that's what I'm I'm, uh, really passionately and spending a ton of time doing, even investing in, um, uh, you know, also investing in more deals. And I'm also, if I need to spend money on trying to figure out more ways to get around people who also want to invest in real estate, I'll do that. And so, for me, that's that's the next level is actually, in a sense, upgrading my uh, my network of people and being around people that uh, are hungry, who are who are serious about growing, or who have who have been hungry, who have already grown, and, and they're looking to to come alongside people like me who are uh, still kind of in that growth stage. And so, uh, that's that's the next level for me is upgrading my upgrading my network, being around. Um, other high net worth individuals. This is a funny story. I posted this on LinkedIn. If you followed me, but uh, every Saturday there's a car show uh, up up north here in San Diego, and it's where uh, all the guys that drive Lamborghinis and Ferraris go to, to kind of show off uh, show off their you know their their status essentially. And so I'll go to car shows, these car shows, and, and <laughs> hang out with these guys who drive Lamborghinis and just say, Hey, like tell me about your business. I want to know what's going on. Like how. This is a beautiful car. I, you know, tell me, teach me about this Lamborghini. I know also know nothing about cars. And so, you know, what do these guys who own these cars want to do? Well, they want to talk about their cars or they want to talk about their business. And so that's been a really fun way for me to uh, get to know people. I just show up at things like car shows and say, Hey, tell me more about yourself. Tell me more about your business. Tell me more about your, your orange Lamborghini. This is a true story, by the way, The orange Lamborghini is an actual true story. Um, and so uh, that, that's the, that's the, for me, that's the next level is upgrading my network.
1: Awesome. Very clever. All right. And lastly, where can people find out more about you?
2: Yeah. So LinkedIn, if you want to connect and actually have a conversation, uh, that's a great way for us to connect. You can just search Ellis Hammond on LinkedIn and and I'm pretty sure I'll come up. Um, As far as the investor starter pack, I'd love to give to your audience for free. I mean, really, uh, this is just for me a couple different resources that uh, I put that I, I put together that I think will be helpful. And so it's the list of the 111 questions. It's uh, a couple different podcasts that have been helpful, and then a few articles that will be helpful as far as getting involved in passive, um, you know, passive investing. If, if you you could go to my website ellishammond.com and you subscribe to my newsletter, and I can send it to you that way, or you can just email me directly at invest@ellishammond.com. At um, so that's ellishammon.com is my website, subscribe to the newsletter. You can get that or my email is invest at Awesome.
1: Well, congrats on all the success in just two years time. And I think that's great that you and your wife can create your wealth building platform together. So awesome. Yeah.
2: This was awesome. Thanks for having me on here. Yep.
1: Yeah, it was great to have you on our show. Everyone else. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Thanks Ellis.
0: Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Passive Income through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.